0: is Bloomberg Surveillance. One of the reasons for wanting to adjust policy rates higher is that if we do run into trouble, there's room to ease. I think it's clear that we should be expecting further easing from the European Central Bank, and we should probably be expecting further easing from the Bank of Japan. One of the concerns expressed for markets is a lack of global growth, and it really is showing up now
1: in output. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio.
2: Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee. And Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. We welcome all of you worldwide. Bloomberg Radio Plus, what a great app. Crystal Clear, the show. All the shows on Bloomberg Radio, Crystal Clear. Bloomberg 1200 Boston. Good morning, 960 the Bay Area in San Francisco. I, Corey Johnson telling me the weather out there has been just extraordinary uh, recently. Good morning, uh, Bloomberg 991 FM Washington. Of course, here in New York and nationwide. Sirius and XM Channel 119. Howard Marks. Coming up in a moment, that's always very important where we try to get uncommon sense from a thoughtful investor. That's the goal, uh, at least. First foreign exchange, a Forex brief. Brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex. I'm watching Peso is a proxy, stronger Mexican Peso uh, in the last number of days as emerging markets calm in the churn that we have mid-February, 18.15 yen stronger, 113.88 euro weaker, sterling weaker as well. Well, I stand corrected. Sterling shows a little bit of gain, 143.80 here as the prime minister migrates to Brussels on a Brexit. We will exit right now to the equity markets. Walmart, 10-year track record. per year. David, that doesn't get it done, does it?
3: No, it's certainly uh, the latest outlook from Walmart didn't get it done either. Before we get to that, though, we should uh, point out there's some breaking news. IBM agreeing to buy Truven Health Analytics for $2.6 billion. It's the fourth health data-related acquisition at IBM in less than a year, and the biggest deal since Ginny Rometty took over as IBM's chief executive three years ago. And IBM's shares are up 2.5% in early trading. Now we'll turn to Walmart. It's down 4%. The world's largest retailer said this year's sales will be relatively flat. Walmart Walmart had expected sales to rise as much as 4% uh, this year. company attributed the cut to a stronger dollar and a push to close underperforming locations. Then Perigo uh, down 7.5%. The generic drug maker's fourth quarter revenue and adjusted earnings failed to meet analyst average estimates in a Bloomberg survey. Perrigo said it plans to exit some brand name consumer health care products, a, an area that it only recently entered. NVIDIA, though, up 8%. The biggest maker of graphics ships made a fiscal first quarter revenue forecast that beat estimates. Sustained demand for gaming computers allowed NVIDIA to weather a slump in personal computer sales. And speaking of computers and software and networking equipment, Ingram Micro distributes all those products, and its shares are up 22%. Ingram Micro accepting a $6 billion takeover offer from China's Jianjin Tianhai investment. Marathon Oil up 4%. The energy producer said it would cut investment this year by more than 50% and also reduce oh. production. Uh, Marathon's fourth quarter revenue beat estimates and its loss was in line with mm-hmm. projections. Devon Energy, on the other hand, down 6%. The oil and gas producer raising as much as $1.3 billion by selling the equivalent of a 13.5% yeah, stake. A
2: lot going, David. There's a lot of dynamics going on in oil right now, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh,
2: bankruptcy yeah. the other day. Uh,
3: well, you've got a few of those, and you've got Warren Buffett just stepping up mm-hmm. an investment with Philip 66, uh, courtesy of Berkshire Hathaway, and also moving into Kinder Morgan. It's sort of a related business.
2: Yeah, Kinder Morgan caught my attention yesterday. Right now, Howard Marks of Oak Street. Let's get right to it, Howard. We don't have enough time today. In distressed bonds, is the moment we're in an opportunity for Mr.
1: Marks, or is it you're under the desk? Which is it? No, I think that uh, for the long-term investor, I think it's a very good opportunity Things are a lot cheaper than they were (coughs) nine months ago, six months ago. Uh, Negativity, (coughs) excuse me, and risk risk aversion has made its way into the market, and we want to buy when when investors are worried and cautious. We don't want to buy when they're optimistic and euphoric, and this that makes this a much better time.
4: Well, is there something that has fundamentally changed in the underlying dynamic of the markets that have people panicking, or is this irrational?
1: No, I think it's irrational. You know, I put out a memo uh, in January called On the Couch, referenced the fact that the market needs a trip to the shrink once in a while. And I said in there that what happens in the market is it only looks at the positives and it interprets everything positively as long as it can. And then it gives up the ghost and it flips 180 and it starts looking at everything negatively. And I think I date that to late China. There was a big spike in the VIX. And China reported uh, bad economic news, declining market, uh, uh, surprising devaluation, and people freaked out. And they, and uh, you know, uh, in the in the memo, there was a cartoon and uh, a, a newscaster saying that everything that was good for the market yesterday was bad for it today. I remember. And that's the way these things go. Were they, were they wearing a bow tie? Uh, no, no bow tie. <laughs> okay, good, good. But but the thing is that you know people are. In the market, people are rarely objective, clinical, and rational, and they go to extremes. And in my opinion, they went from optimistic to pessimistic. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to become more pessimistic, Michael. Uh, but uh, I'd rather buy them today than than six months ago.
4: Now, you, uh, Bloomberg News notes uh, accurately that you you made a lot of money off an investment with Jeffrey Gunlock when he started Double Line. But is the bond market still going to pay, even uh, with Mr. Goodlock's wonderful track record, is the bond market still going to pay like it has the last few years? Or now is it squeezing
1: out the pennies because we've come so far? I think that a highly skilled manager, which is what I think Jeff is, will always be in demand. People have money. They want to turn that money into more money. Hopefully, they want to do it safely. The people who can do that will be in demand, and their companies will be profitable. Uh, by the way, we haven't cashed that investment yet. <laughs> so, you know, this is, the, this, is the, uh, this is the appreciation that some people say we're looking at. Uh, right. But, but we're not, we're not, I don't claim to have pocketed that kind of money.
2: For, within, for the within the work, and, and I know Jeff quite well, within his mathiness, and the phrase you just used, highly skilled, does the institutional buy side in hedge fund world have the intellectual chops given the competition for yield and spread analysis? Are there a few people like Howard Marks and Jeff Gunlock out there, or are you pretty impressed by the intellectual content you see?
1: Um, you know, Tom, uh, on average, people are average. Uh, and uh, – Historically, the average institutional investor – I'm not talking about the bond world. I'm talking about the investment world. The average institutional investor has done about average. Uh, So uh, my comments are with regard to the rare exceptional person. And and I think Jeff is that person. And uh, I think that the exceptional person will always uh, uh, be successful. What makes an exceptional investor? Um, In my book – The most important thing, Chapter 1 says... Cue
4: this shameless plug
1: music. (laughs) Go right ahead. ahead. But uh, Chapter 1 says the most important thing is second-level thinking. And the exceptional person sees things that the average person doesn't see and sees them differently. And if you want to perform exceptionally, you have to think and see exceptionally. So the first-level thinker says it's a great company. You should buy the stock. The second-level thinker says it's a great company but it's not as great as everybody thinks, you should sell the stock. You see, it's it's like the second derivative in calculus. You have to take your inside. The stock's
4: going to go up because everybody thinks it's great, but yeah. I can see the weaknesses, so I'm exactly. going to get on the other side. Yeah, of that
2: Howard, Howard, we're a hockey show. What that means is Gretzky went to where the puck was going to be. That's right. Would, would be the, yeah. the, the basic idea. But within the model that you've got, I would suggest the winners recently have been people with really acute dynamics. Taking multi-asset and cross-asset analysis and being able to look at that and then, as you say, filter forward to where we're going
1: to be. Yeah, well, uh, Sid Cottle, who was a professor at Columbia 50 years ago, said that investment is the discipline of relative selection. Yeah. In other words, uh, wait, that's what uh, your uh, cross-market term should everybody
2: read security analysis, Graham Dodd-Cottle?
1: Well, I, I think they should, yeah. that's. To right. me, it's a rite of passage. You have to read that's it right. to understand yeah, that's a more right. static that's right. railroad time. And, by the way, in 05 or 06, we reissued the 1940 uh, edition. It's. I think the new Good. one is more readable, so I'd recommend C- that. Can I do a shameless plug while we're piling <laughs> on as here? Without, should with they plenty. read the Yield book, Sidney Homer? I think if they want to know how bonds work. If you want to know bonds yeah, you got to go back the yield, to the seminal so. literature. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to have, by the way, you know, my belief, Tom, is that most people uh, uh, who participate in the markets don't really understand how profits are made. Uh, yeah. They they just think, well, you buy something that's going to go up tomorrow. But you have to know what's going to make it go up tomorrow.
2: In the relative nature. Oh, can we go on like for three hours with Howard? <laughs> yeah, I think we, we could we do need that. that. Howard Marks, thank you for stopping by uh, today with uh, Oak Tree. Um, and, and we didn't even get to the basic idea of coupon or total return. Uh, within where we are uh, within bonds. Uh, features futures up five. There's just a churn to the screen. Howard Marks taking the rest of the day off. Uh thirty-one sixty-four uh per barrel on West Texas up ninety-eight cents, Brent Crude up a dollar, thirty-five forty-six. And just again, a churn within this, uh, the stronger yen, one thirteen eighty nine. And the euro one ten eighty three.
4: Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael.
5: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Barack Obama will announce today that he will be traveling to Cuba in mid-March. It will be the first time in almost nine decades that a U.S. president has visited the island. The stop would be part of a broader trip to Latin America. Vice President Joe Biden says President Obama is looking to nominate someone who's had past support from Republicans to replace late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Biden told Minnesota Public Radio today the president is not going to be able to pick the most liberal jurist in the nation and put them on the court. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump has a 19-point lead over Ted Cruz in the latest Bloomberg Politics poll ahead of Saturday's South Carolina primary. Meanwhile, Cruz is leading all candidates in the scramble for oil industry campaign cash, surpassing Jeb Bush. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom?
2: Michael, thanks so much. Good morning, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, 960 the Bay Area. Corey Johnson and Carol Masser coming along in an hour. Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: Market Drivers, brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz Formatic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer for a test drive today.
6: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. The relief rally that swept through U.S. equities is entering a fourth day with U.S. stock index futures higher. S&P E-mini futures up five points. Dow E-mini futures up 58. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 16. The DAX in Germany is up 1.6%. Can your treasury little change? Yield 1.81 percent. Nymex crude oil up three and a half percent, or a dollar six to 31.72 a barrel. Comex gold down four tenths percent, or four dollars seventy cents to 12.0670 an ounce. The euro, a dollar ten seventy nine. The yen, one thirteen point eight nine. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: Karen, uh, thanks so much. We just spoke with Howard Marks about creative investment in distressed debt. Working in the more institutional world is a legendary Margie Patel, working with Wells Fargo Asset Management, and she joins us now. Margie, how much fun have the last three months been?
7: Well, they've been pretty, uh, pretty fun because I've basically been out of the really bottom tier that's gotten very, very hurt.
2: So it's an opportunity now. How do you, and this is something that's come up in conversation after conversation, how do you manage cash? is a productive asset in a prospectus-based mutual fund. How do you do that?
7: Well, I don't have a lot of cash personally. Um, I feel I have other liquid bonds that I could meet any unexpected outflow. Um, other people have a strategy of holding more cash. But with cash basically at zero, it seems we're better off going to a name we think can survive and have the liquidity that if we need to sell, we could sell.
4: That's a... Big question in uh, the academic debate over the markets these days of whether or not there is enough liquidity. And if you could sell, would you find buyers in a crisis? That that seems to be the question.
7: Well, there's always buyers for the better quality, more scarce merchandise. Always, always. Maybe a little bit lower than the quote. But there are always buyers there, particularly when you think that in the whole high-yield market, mutual funds are maybe only a quarter and there may be 50% of the market is made up of long-term buyers who buy the good stuff, meaning pension funds, insurance companies, they're always there standing in the wings waiting to take advantage. And the, and the bottom tier stuff, there really is no bid because the whole vulture investing, extremely mm-hmm. investors, have just disappeared.
2: So so this is the money beautifully said, Mike. That was a great question which got to a brilliant answer. Then, Margie Patel, do our listeners through you take the opportunity to migrate to lesser quality material Or do you just have to avoid it right now?
7: You have to avoid it right now. I think less will continue to be more. Lower coupon, better quality issues will continue to outperform the big yielders because you won't have that risk of principal loss, which is going to occur in a lot of lower tier names.
4: Do you think that uh, treasury rates are going to go significantly lower?
7: Well, I've been thinking the ten years in a one and a half, two and a half trading band, and that's where we've been, and I think that's where we're going to stay. And I think we're likely to plumb the lower levels of that before we get to two and a half, actually. And and it'll, I think it'll move really pretty much unrelated to what happens in high yield. They're they're really pretty much delinked at this point.
2: Margie, uh, w- within the coupon, and I didn't get to this question of how marks and. I think for you, frankly, it's more germane. Are you managing for coupon, which is X number of basis points above what anybody else can get, or can there actually be a total return opportunity if you haven't been hurt by the carnage that we've seen?
7: I'm managing for total return. And that doesn't mean so much capital appreciation as capital preservation, just not having any credit accidents and earning a modest coupon more than I could get in investment grade. That so, a, in other words, a defensive strategy still.
2: Michael McKee, was that a jargon alert? I, <laughs> like, what's a credit accident? <laughs>
7: Well, that's when a credit that you weren't really watching or you thought was pretty much money good announces a very, very negative mood, and you suddenly lose 10 or 20 right. points overnight. We call
2: that, on Bloomberg Surveillance, Margie, being wrong.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you, know, that's, you couldn't survive if you didn't have a good acronym for it. Credit accident is a good one. Uh, how uh, correlated Do you see markets going forward here? We've been talking in recent days about, uh, you know, this one-to-one correlation among all these asset classes that seems to have finally broken this week. But uh, how true was that? How true is it going to be going forward?
7: You know, I think correlations between asset classes a lot of times is just happenstance, happen for a specific purpose, and you can't really put that into the future to determine how asset classes work together because i think the fundamentals are driving different things you know for example you've had a big jump up in equities over the last few days high yield has had a modest modest few basis point improvement so that's a great example that they really aren't very closely correlated
4: people have been saying oil has been driving has been the the tail wagging the dog Uh, is that a relationship that's going to hold
7: well, I think low oil prices are going to continue to weigh on the bottom part of the high-yield market, and that's where the majority of defaults are going to be. I don't see any change there. I think that the outlook for oil is still pretty dire and will basically be in that right. 20 to $35 range.
2: What is the pricing, then, of garbage oil debt versus better quality survivor oil debt? Is that an opportunity to rotate into famous names with their bonds?
7: I think even the famous names are going to be under pressure because I think their values reflect higher oil prices than we're going to see.
4: But there is a theory that uh, if you pick the right distressed energy uh, bonds, you'll still get paid because they'll be assumed by the buyers. Uh, that it won't be so much so many bankruptcies as there will be forced sales.
7: Oh, I really, really don't think we're going to see. Um, People get bailed out by distressed companies selling to another purchaser, and the reason is simply they took on too much debt and they paid way too much for the properties that they bought, you know, assuming oil would be eighty to one hundred dollars forever so I think the recovery value is going to be, you know, 10 cents on the dollar, no good company is Mm. going to come in and buy those
2: companies. Margie, we'll get more out of you in four minutes than any other guests. Absolutely fabulous. Margie Patel with Wells Fargo Asset Management. Mike, I put that out on Twitter. That was so important. Her idea of better quality oil debt, struggling. She would still avoid it harmed as the garbage is harmed uh, as well. What a world. I, I, you know, 10 years ago, would you say we'd be looking at 5% as a total return?
4: No. West Texas 3166 up 3.3%. Yeah. Oh, Brent is up almost 3% on the day 35.52.
2: They are up what we call a stick. That's jargon for $1. Stay with us Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: We are counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the refined Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland. It continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Jeep, the official vehicle at Killington Resort.
3: Broadcasting live to New
1: York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston,
3: Bloomberg 1200,
1: to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
6: Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. And the opening bell brought to you by SEI, Imagine, a global operating platform designed to deliver a differentiated and technologically rich investor experience. Find out how SEI can help you succeed at seic.com slash imagine. Stocks higher at the open, the S&P 500 up a tenth of a percent or two points to 1929. Dow Jones Industrial Average up three-tenths percent or 47 points to 16,500. NASDAQ up three-tenths percent or 12 points to 45.46. Ten-year Treasury is up one thirty second, The yield, 1.81 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.74 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 3.5 percent, or $1.06 to $31.72 a barrel. COMEX gold down 4/10% 4 tenths percent, or $4.50 to $12.0690 an ounce. The euro, $1.1076. $1. The yen, 113.85. Tom and Mike.
2: Karen, thanks so much. I just put out on Bloomberg Radio Plus where the A-rated yield curve was three years ago, two years ago, whatever, and where it is now. Peter Hayes joining us. He works for Price, the Price to Perfection Fund at BlackRock. I'm kidding. He works at Municipal Bonds at BlackRock. We never have him on enough. Peter, good morning. Is good morning. your world Price to Perfection, Price Up, Yield Down?
8: Price to perfection, it's it's priced pretty well. Hard to define perfection. We've certainly had a lot of good performance the end of 2015. So far this year, remember 2015, the best performing fixed income asset class, and we've seen a lot of that momentum. So I'd say we're certainly priced from, at least from a relative value standpoint, maybe a little less attractively than we were in the middle of last year.
2: So then what do you do? Do you grab the coupon, or do you have to be more aggressive, more analytical? in protecting capital?
8: I think it's actually a great point you bring up about the grab the coupon, because that's what munis are about. In fact, that's what fixed income generally is about. If you look at the breakdown of performance last year between coupon or income and price, it coupon-dominated, and I think that's going to be the theme for this year, given we have a benign rate outlook as, as well. So I think how do you maximize that income without taking a lot of risk? We're not advocating going out and taking 30- or 40-year risk because the valuations we talked about earlier are a bit rich. So right now the best-performing part of the curve where we see value is in the 10- to 12-year part of the curve. It's a good way to not sit in cash, get more income, without taking a lot of interest rate risk.
4: Is that working in the sense that uh... – Normally, when the Fed starts raising rates, you see your biggest moves, uh, biggest impacts at the short end of the curve, which they control. The long end is uh, not supposed to move as it has uh, in 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 this sort of uh, world where um, the 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 neutral real rate is uh, so compressed.
8: Mm-hmm. In past cycles, uh, clearly what, what takes place is you do see a steeping of the curve, and then uh, one, that's prior to the Fed tightening. Once they begin tightening, the curve begins to flatten, the back end comes down because inflation expectations get lowered from weaker, supposedly weaker economic growth. The Fed policy does work. We think this time, you know, this, I hate to say this time is different, but this time may be different is where we're coming from. First of all, it does seem the Fed is certainly taken out of play, at least for the next couple of meetings. And we just think that the impact and where rates are coming from and the magnitude and the path of Fed policy is likely to be mm-hmm. contained in the very, very front end. So that by mean we mean T-bills, we mean very short treasury notes, but right. not out the curve, not beyond five or seven years.
2: Peter Ace, you know divorces start and end in courtrooms about <laughs> revenue bonds. Right. What's the big mistake people are making now, not in the general obligation, full faith and credit space? But in the ugly revenue space is airports my worst nightmare.
8: I don't think it is the worst nightmare. If you look at, you know, especially some of the bigger airports, let's focus on the, the Newark's and the San Francisco, Denver, Chicago O'Hare, and the, and the O'Hare's and O'Hare's and Denver's, and right. I mean, we're, we're seeing, you know, they're considered origination and destination airports. We're seeing good employments, good traffic. Uh, you know, the number of passengers flying seems to be greater. Airlines are benefiting from lower oil prices. So there's a lot of benefits. And you get some yield in the revenue part of the space. In fact, if you take your argument about general obligation versus revenue, the general obligation, which was considered sacrosanct, Detroit has shaken the foundation of that thought process a little bit. Chicago, Illinois, there's some problems right. out there in the general obligation space. We, in fact, find revenue bonds to be safer because that willingness to pay doesn't come into question on the revenue
2: What's side. What's my yield pick up 10, 20 years out on a revenue piece?
8: Pick up on an, an, an A-rated bond, you could pick yeah. up a good 40 or 50 basis
2: okay. points. Okay, 40 or 50 basis points, fine. But where's my revenue trap right now? You talk lovely about airlines, and I, you know, I sort of know where the question's going, folks. Okay, I get that. Where am I? Where? Where am I? I mean, boy, were there some train wrecks 20 and 30 years ago. Uh,
8: I, I think you have to look at just you know the very low-rated space, isolated, smaller issuers. Even okay. getting back to airports, you know some of the regional airports, perhaps not as strong as some of the big origin and destination airports. So it's that question of stretching for yield. Do you want to take more credit risk, get a little bit more income? But clearly there's there's some traps uh, out there as well. And then even in the general obligation space, you know, there's different types of GOS that some of it would argue is revenue-like. And I think you have to be uh, careful. There. So, a lot of differentiation among credits in the municipal space.
4: What about uh, ratings risk going forward? A uh, lot of unfunded pension liabilities aren't being fixed by an economy mm-hmm. that isn't uh, growing gangbusters.
8: Right that that that's the big risk that's where we see the big divergence in in credit and you see that places like New Jersey places like Illinois Chicago Chicago Moody's downgraded them below investment grade for a city of that magnitude third largest metropolitan economy in the US so they're being penalized for not taking action on their pensions the, the question everybody has is, how do you fix the pension problem? There has to be some type of pension reform, or you have to increase taxes to pay for it. And right now, nobody wants to do either one. So in the meantime, you have a lot of downward pressure wow. on those entities that have big pension problems.
2: I mean, I'm looking at a nine, folks, a nine-year bullet bond, Chicago, the fives of 25, 4.61%. That really shows the angst, doesn't it?
8: Uh, that's a lot it's of not, yield. Yeah, that's a lot of yield for a city of that size. And some of that comes down to the political dysfunction. It's hard to – we can look at balance sheets and so we can mm-hmm. come up with the credit determination. Hard to predict the political atmosphere. Really hard to know what they're going to do. All right.
2: Mike, we should talk about price as well here. You've enjoyed losing $3 on your bond, 105 to 102 over the last six weeks.
4: Yes, Um as
2: you capture your 4.61%. Well, it's been,
4: a, it's been an interesting six weeks, but uh, is that going to turn around? I mean, do we? we're getting beyond that, I presume.
8: I think it's a a lot, you know, what's your expectation for rates going forward? Do you believe the U.S. economy is really slipping into a recession? The market was beginning to price that in last week when 10-year treasuries were pushing down towards 150. Now we're backing up again saying, okay, maybe the economy isn't as bad as as we thought. From a municipal standpoint, some of that performance we talked about earlier, we're, we're likely to give a little bit of that back. In fact, we've given about 30 basis points back over the last couple trading sessions. We're coming into a period of time where we see increased issuance that's sometimes a good time to to buy. Let the market digest that, adjust accordingly, and then lock in some of those yields we talked about. Peter,
2: 30 seconds left. You're in the 90th percentile one year back, and one of the BlackRock closed in uh, funds. You're 98th percentile last year. Do you just take the year off when you do that? <laughs>
8: no, we, we try not to take it, it, you know, the year off. The closed-end funds are, are a little bit different animal because they're traded, obviously, yeah. on stock price, equity exchange. You have to look at the okay. distinction between NAV and closed-end fund. They're all about maximizing income, maximizing exposure out in the long end of the curve.
2: Yeah. Congratulations on a 2015 Peter Hayes with BlackRock as we Thank take you very much. advantage of tax-free uh, bonds. All you need to know Within the indeterminate nature of the week, I got green and red on the screen. The Dow up 14 points. The VIX 22.43. The p 500 down uh, 1.70. Tiny Teen Sweets points 19.25 on the S&P. That really shows a lot about the jumble.
4: This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit WestchesterSubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with news headlines.
5: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Obama took to Twitter to say, next month I'll travel to Cuba to advance our progress in an effort that can improve the lives of the Cuban people. The last time a sitting president visited Havana was back in 1928 when Calvin Coolidge was in office. Two Republican presidential candidates have already commented on President Obama's Cuban trip. Ted Cruz, whose father fled Cuba in the 1950s, says the president should not visit Havana while the Castro family is still in power. Marco Rubio, another child of Cuban immigrants, calls the Cuban regime an anti-American communist dictatorship. Vice President Joe Biden is giving a hint of what kind of Supreme Court nominee President Obama might pick to replace late Justice Antonin Scalia. Biden tells Minnesota Public Radio that the president, in order to get someone confirmed, is not going to pick the most liberal jurist in the nation and put them on the court.
3: This should be someone who, in fact, is a consensus and whereby we can generate enough support to get a person passed.
5: Toyota is recalling about 1.1 million sport utility vehicles in the U.S. because of seat belts that might fail in a crash. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists... And more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr Mike, Tom?
2: And Michael, thanks so much. Stay with us, Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Uh, we do economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Stay with us, Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Fairleigh Dickinson University. Boost your career by getting CFP certified at FDU, named one of the great schools for financial planning. Classes begin February 23rd and 24th. Visit fdu.edu.
3: Global business news 24 hours a day
1: at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
6: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. U.S. stocks, they have turned lower this after the S&P 500's strongest three-day advance in almost six months. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down two-tenths percent or about four points now to 1923. Dow Jones Industrial Average Little Change down one point to 16,452. The Nasdaq down three-tenths percent or 12 points to 4522. Ten-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.79 percent. Yield on the two-year points 3 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 2.4% or $0.73 cents to 31.39 a barrel. COMEX gold down a tenth of a percent or $1.60 to $12.09.70 an ounce. The euro, another $1.1103, began 66 Americans' expectations for the economy declined in February to a three-month low as optimism propelled by job growth and cheaper gasoline at the start of the year faded. A monthly measure tracking the economic outlook dropped to 42.5 from a January reading of 47 That was the highest in seven months, this according to data from the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index. And NVIDIA, the best performer in the S&P 500 today, up more than 11% after it predicted sales that may exceed endless estimates. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
2: Houston. Karen, thank you. Houston. We have a problem. Joining us now, Peter Elliott. Bloomberg Reserve, the outrage of Houston, rating higher than the New York City Food World, according to the Washington Post, this article, shock and awe, coast to coast.
0: Uh, Shock and awe, coast to coast. Good morning. To the
2: guy's credit, he ate in
0: 271 restaurants. 200, you know, so so do I. But um, I don't agree with him.
2: Help us. Houston. (laughs)
0: Yeah it. yeah, you have this is p first of all a piece um um by by Tom Setzma, who's a, a wonderful writer and yes, a colleague. Yes. And uh um you know, I, I actually see more of this about the whole list listization of the world. Thank you. That um everything winds up in a top ten list. I mean it is it is just sort of ludicrous to argue that New York City uh what you're an economist, so it's the third largest economy in the globe or something. New York City is, is yeah. somehow somehow ranks below Houston as, as a food city. Um, this is the thing for any any New Yorker, anybody who's coming to our beloved city by the sea, I always say the same thing. If you start at 125th Street and walk down any of our avenues, you'll see more food in more places in more styles at actually more reasonable prices than still any place On earth, if you just walk down Second Avenue from its entire length and breadth, you see more than, than Washington, Houston, Atlanta, Charleston, any of these cities. Is it fun to talk about? Um, How Portland and Atlanta and Charleston and Houston have have come to to be food cities as well. Um, Absolutely. But uh, in no way do I think that New York has in any way lost its its (laughs) its crown.
4: Well, as someone who used to live in Washington for a long time, I can tell you that uh, for a long time, uh, Washington uh, could not even claim to be a food city, let alone to put itself on a list. Oh, well, there you'd be niche. wrong.
0: There you'd be wrong, my friend. Washington has come incredible. Oh, no, I'm saying it, has it's come, come a long way. I mean, uh, just Jose Andres alone. But this is the other thing I think that's interesting about this, and it may say a great deal about what's happening in this country right now. New York uh, remains one of the few cities in the world that remains a late city that works from morning to lunch to afternoon to cocktails to dinner in Los Angeles, which has really changed, like Washington has really changed. I can absolutely assure you that even the hottest restaurant in town is empty at nine o'clock at night. So, you know, all of these cities share something in common in that they do not have, they have great new restaurants, they have wonderful new restaurant scenes, but in no way do they have that kind of round-the-clock circulation that a city like New York has. I can't well, even think of another city except leaving, for maybe Hong Kong that has that kind of has, has that kind of open door policy
4: leaving aside the the silliness of of creating a list. Topping his list is Portland, uh, Oregon. And you have had many very nice things to say about
0: Exactly. I have have many nice things to say about all of these cities, amongst them Houston, though probably less. So Portland is certainly one of my my favorite food cities at the moment. So is Austin, Texas. So is Los Angeles. There's more interesting things happening. So it brings up the thing we often talk about, which is what is making uh, cities like Los Angeles and Portland and Washington and Houston suddenly become relevant. In the food world, and that is, is that many of them re- really truly are being driven out of New York um, because of the high price of it. Now, that doesn't mean that New York, uh, does, excuse me, that doesn't mean that Portland and mm. Los Angeles and Washington don't have similar problems with high rent and service and all of that kind of stuff, but New York, it has become critical.
2: Catch you underwears, but you're so good we can do this. Porterhouse is iconic at the Time Warner Center. It's like a CNN hangout and all that. It's a great steak, and there's a view of the west side of that. And they're closing it for renovations. What's the Peter Elliott formula to do renovations right? Because what I see is they do them, and they always lose the magic of any given restaurant.
0: Um, That is uh, an interesting point. Uh, Porter um, Porter House is a restaurant in, as you say, the Time Warner Center, and actually one of the few really successful ones. It's it's really intriguing for all the mess of the restaurants that have gone on there, from the, the stuff going on at Per Se to... Reasons why people don't want to go through a mall to get to Massa to spend, you know, a zillion dollars on sushi. Um, Porterhouse is Michael LaMonica. Michael LaMonica was the chef at Windows on the World, tragically. Um, also at 21 Club. Just a classic New York guy you know michael Lamonico is just one of the one of the great new york chefs he just does his job gets the steak out has a nice exactly. room, is happy that's to exactly it there exactly what it's like he's just exactly. like a little old school a little new school um and and he he's terrific now the good news about this and your point about that is that w- what's he going to do with the time warner space that's going to change it so much it's still going to look like you the know, eating the Time Warner Center. So, I mean, I think you're probably right that even though, um, you know, he may mess something up along the way or take it, sing, the reason people are going there are for his food and for the view, and that it's just a very, very convenient place, um, yeah. kind of at the crossroads of New crossroads. York media. Yes. So I, I hope he won't mess it up, uh, and I can't really imagine that he would. I'm sure it's just like uh, freshening it yeah. up like an airline. But, but
2: in London, the Covent Garden Hotel, wonderful hotel near the Seven Dials, they're renovating and the guy said to me, they're doing the bar or whatever out. What's the trend now in the madness of your world between moving wow. drinks and moving food? The answer is still make a bigger bar, the, right?
0: Is, is make a bigger buck. The answer is also um, uh, Mr. Economists or dual <laughs> yeah, economist is just it's, it's, it's capitalism, isn't it? It's just the pressure to stay new is so intense and the, and the wear and tear that restaurants and hotels get how many times have you been in a hotel that says gosh this place hasn't been updated since you know what nineteen you know ninety-nine mm-hmm. but in truth a year in the life of a restaurant or the year in the life of a restaurateur uh, can be very hard so it's really important that they keep up and make it look new and and old old-fashioned thing Siri Maccioni at Le Cirque always used to say the first thing that you know clients do is look to see if there's wear and tear on the chairs and that can be a reason and that they never come back you know it's a relentless business so you really do have to make sure that you are keeping yeah. up and yeah. and nobody finds uh holes in your upholstery
4: we uh we were just talking with john tish um uh, tish from lowe's corporation who pointed out that uh, coming up is the south beach wine and food festival i imagine that you will we will be there uh and uh, he was just telling us how amazed he was that, at how much that thing has grown. He remembers the first one in a parking lot at Florida International University.
0: Yes, well there you, there you have it. And, and l- let us not forget that um, uh, Mr. Tish owns the Lowe's Hotel, which is the center of the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. So uh, he has quite an interest in making sure that uh, um, it, it is it is well received and and going to be bigger and better and ever. It is amazing what's happened. It was it indeed was very very small, and now is something like. Seventy-five, eighty thousand 80,000 people. Um, what's interesting to me about the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, but, um, besides the fact that its concentration is so specific, is its breadth, that it used to be a very Food Network-related thing. You're talking about Rachel Ray and oh, Azur yeah, sure. and hamburgers yeah, yeah. and all of that stuff. But um, what it's really that you can draw serious talent, kind of this what Tom would call mm-hmm. snooty, you know, Copenhagen, you know, Rene Redzepi and Alex Adela and all of these kind of highbrow uh super specific uh, chefs are also going to South Beach Wine and Food Festival. This year they have particularly lucked out because mm. the weather stinks. So everybody wants right. to be there.
2: We started with Houston. Let's close out with Houston, 205 East Houston Street. Is I, I mentioned this to somebody the other day? He said, "Where should I go for the real New York?" And I said, "Cats is delicatessen." Cats is they
0: still, still do it. Cats I mean, is is, Cats is still wonderful. So is Russ and Daughters. And as we as we speak, we should we should maybe start maybe should have started here. Carnegie Deli is reopened. Yes, um, this very the week. The Deli a, still thrives the, in New York City. Thrive is a strong word. I mean, when you you're down to Barney Greengrass, Russ and Daughters, Cats is, uh, and now Carnegie. So uh, no, the, the 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 diner is uh, is definitely a dying breed, um, which. Is, which mm. is sad for, for New York, but Katz's is still a wonderful place. And and Russ and Daughters, which has yeah. not only taken it but refined it and expanded it, um, they're probably the ones to look at in the diner category right now.
2: Katz's Deli, 127 years, which is how long Peter Elliott has done Bloomberg <laughs> Reserve. We think this is two weeks in a row. This is too much Peter Elliott. Where do you travel to uh,
0: next? I'm, I'm so sorry to, to hear that. I'm off to, I'm off to a great food city, San Francisco.
2: Very good, San Francisco. We say good morning, Bloomberg 960. The Bay Area, we announced to you when C. Johnson and C. Masser will attend for your early morning San Francisco and, of course, worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Looking forward to that. Peter Elliott, thank you um, so much. A mixed market, again, a, uh, indeterminate. It's a word I've been using all week. Uh, the Dow up 12. and p 500 goes the other way, negative two. We are produced by YUN, our global technical director, Ken Fellio. Next, Carol Masser. Corey
7: Johnson. Stay with Bloomberg Radio.